The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez. My guest today is Jean Christensen. Jean, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Great. I'm looking forward to this conversation. We're going to be chatting about government contracts, and that's something we've never chatted about before. So we'll start with Jean's entrepreneurial journey. But then we're going to dive into uh, her knowledge. She's going to share of her knowledge, tips, and advice on going after government contracting opportunities and some of the challenges of doing so for small businesses. If you want to receive more information about the Howa business, including links to the show note pages, then just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996. So Gene Christensen is a small business and MWBE, that stands for Minority and Woman-Owned Business Enterprise. Um, she's a MWBE growth specialist, an executive coach, and a trainer. In 2007, she launched Gene Christensen Associates, KJA, and, and they teach minority and women-owned businesses how to increase revenue through government contracting. MWBE certification also and other innovative business strategies. Her signature program is the MWBE Success. It's a toolbox series of workshops, trainings, and one-on-one coaching, and has been procured by several nonprofit and government agencies. Her work in the small business and MWBE community has been recognized by numerous organizations. And in 2016, Jean was named as one of the top women to watch in real estate due to her development work with female entrepreneurs in the construction industry. So a very varied background, a lot of experience, a lot of years doing this. And so we're looking forward to getting her insights on government contracting. She lives in Connecticut, but her office is in New York City. So once again, Jean Christensen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. All right, so let's get started where we usually do, which is with your journey. Uh, I'd like you if you could share a little bit about what uh, your career was all about uh, after school and before launching your first business. So my career began with um, professional publishing and marketing. I worked for Thompson Financial Services, where I was responsible for marketing in the you know in the early eighties, hmm. and um, my parents at the time had launched a security guard company in 1984 where they were you know pursuing government contracts and they were trying to you know grow that business so i kind of left my corporate job to help them um because i saw that they were really struggling in the business and one of the things i really enjoyed was marketing so i got started in business by joining my family business in 1984 okay and um i then you know after uh, my dad passed away in the 90s and so 
probably around 2007, I started my consulting practice. Okay. So, so after you went to work for them, did you ever go back to the corporate world or did that then segue into starting your own firm? I never went back to the corporate world. One of the things that I really um, admired about how admired about them was their entrepreneurial spirit. Mm -hmm. And I also, I also found that entrepreneurship was just different than a job. You know, the job provided a lot of security, but the entrepreneurial journey was, you know, it was exciting, fun, and it also um, gave me and my family the opportunity to have an impact on the community, as well as, you know, change our economic status as, as, a, as a family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to go back to this point about uh, the security. Looking back at it now, you've been an entrepreneur for new, numerous years. Do you still see it as having a job in the corporate world as security? Um, relative to being an entrepreneur how do you how do you see that now especially when you know aspiring entrepreneurs ask you about that about that transition out of the corporate world to entrepreneurship i'm curious as to how do you look at that perceived i think it's a perceived security but tell me what you think you know now with hindsight um i don't see having a job as security as as you know i've been around the block for a while and you know it really depends having a job you are kind of at the mercy of the economy of the you know of, of how things are going in the marketplace i think as an entrepreneur you have a better ability to predict how things are going to look and to shift and accommodate when i when i say i i, I thought that uh you know i was in my early 20s when i had a job and that was how we were all raised it was you know, you go to school and then you get a good job and you retire from that job. Uh, I no longer see having a job as security. Mm -hmm. I, I really, I see it almost the opposite because again, you can't control uh, the external factors that are influencing the marketplace. And, you know, we see that right now the economy is great. You know, there's low unemployment, but I've lived through periods where that has not been the case. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. And of course, for you, your parents modeled um, the benefits of being their own boss, right? So you had that influence early on as well, even though I guess we you had mixed messages because we all did, right? The society at large still said, go to college, get a career, but you saw your parents have the flexibility of being business owners. Is that fair? Yeah. And, you know, the I don't want to misrepresent that it was all great because right. you know entrepreneurship can be equally as scary yeah but now you know as a seasoned entrepreneur i i believe that we have the ability to um you know to shape our own outcomes i think you've got to be proactive and, and you can see economic indicators you can see what's happening in the job market you can shift your priorities you can add other products or services where you know if you have a job you're pretty much you know you just don't have that flexibility. Yeah, no, I agree. All right. So obviously the interest in government contracting initially came about if I'm following when helping your parents' business. But then what what led you to kind of focus on that and stay in this in this arena? What is it about it that appeals to you and and that has driven you to continue to develop your firm focused in this area of helping people with government contracting? So one of the things I really like about government contracting is it gives the entrepreneur and it gives business owners the ability to scale. You know, when you acquire a government contract, typically it is a multi-year pro project. 
So I found it to be very different from working with individual clients, both in the security guard company that we had and also in my private practice. Um, in my private practice, having multiple government contracts has, has, has allowed me to scale my business enormously. So I like government contracting, again, for the ability to scale, also because of the transparency. Um, you know, when you're looking to acquire government contracts, you can, you can look at what they're buying, how they're buying, and position yourself for success. Mm -hmm. All right. So the transparency, and we'll, we'll get more into it, is, is one of the components that I guess makes it easier for, to work with them as opposed to maybe private, a private client. Um, but so the multi-year project component is one of the key things there is that typically these projects or these contracts rather that you go after have a long life and therefore it's a significant, steady and predictable revenue stream for the small business owner. Yes. And it also the, the scalability, because when you are acquiring a government contract, you have the ability to put into your pricing model all of the different things that are going to be part of it. Even, you know, even thinking about, you know, hiring employees, adding um, insurance or benefits, it's all part of the package. Wait a minute, even if you're just starting out and you're looking to acquire government contracts, you can, you can say, all right, I'm going to hire five people to work on that contract. And because they're multi-year projects, it has an immediate impact when you win um, the contract because you can add employees, you can you know, add benefits and other, other things. Equipment. And that, that's different from what a, an opportunity you might pursue in the private sector where often it's all about price. Is that, is that where it's part of the difference there? Yeah, I think the, for me, the private sector has been a little less predictable um, mm -hmm. because, you know, the, the, the thing that I really like about government contracts is, again, that predictability, that knowing that I have a contract that's a multi-year contract yeah. so that I can build my cash flow, I can build my um, projections around the contract, and I can leverage one contract to acquire many more mm, because okay. as I'm building that infrastructure, um, you know, employees can can work on multiple projects and it's it's been a way um, that I've seen um, that a business can scale. Yeah. Yeah. Because in the private sector, it's rare that we get any kind of a long-term agreement, right? Uh, but much more so common in government contracts. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Um, Okay, and then you said something else there, and I but I lost my train of thought. All right, so so tell me some more of the. I want to start with kind of some of the common myths that small business owners have. Oh, I remember the question I was going to ask you. So you're saying that once I've gotten, once I've landed a government contract, it's easier to get the next one. I have to assume is that fair? Yeah, okay. absolutely. All right, so I want to start with some of the common myths that you see that you hear. When you're working with small business owners, they have never done government contracting before, but want to get into it. What are some of the common myths you hear, misconceptions that people have about the whole process, let's say? I think that one of the common misconceptions that people have is that, you know, this, that the government only buys construction or like uh, hard goods. Mm. And that is completely not true. If you think of the government as the largest purchaser of goods and services in the United States, they buy everything from consulting services, training services, in addition to goods um, and other types of things. 
The other, the other misconception that I think people have is that they think that all of the projects are these big multi-year mm. projects so that small businesses are not able to compete. And that's not true either. The government has, the government has discretionary purchasing um, opportunities where they buy goods and services for as low as you know five thousand dollars or like um what they call a one-off where they will buy something um uh you know just one time so so what i'm trying to say is that uh you don't necessarily have to be a big company right and you don't necessarily have to have a lot of resources to break in. Sure. Yeah. There are these smaller opportunities that, that are perfect certainly to get started for a small business owner. Um, nonetheless, you, you say, if I've got this right in the research that it's nowhere, getting a government contract is nowhere near as attainable as it might seem on the surface. And, and I, and I think where you're coming from there is I get this a lot in my, in my work as a business coach and, and as a score volunteer is that people think is, you know, this easy online process, but tell me about that. Why, why is it more difficult than people think? You know, there's a lot of marketing that goes into um, inviting small businesses into the government's arena. You'll see all this. I see marketing every day that mm. says, you know, come do business with us. And, you know, and I think people are wrongly assuming that, oh, you know, I can just kind of hang my shingle or I can obtain a certification as a minority and or woman owned business. And that will make me eligible to start participating in some of the different, you know, uh, set aside contracts that are out there. And the reality is that in order to successfully do business with the government, even if you're looking for to do it on a small scale or on a large scale, you have to have um, an infrastructure that supports all of the expectations around doing business with the government. So that could be things like customer service, that's things like back office services. So I, I think the most important thing people need to know is that doing business with the government is attainable, but you have to think of all of the things that would be involved in working with the municipality. Um, it's very difficult for a solo entrepreneur, for example, to be able to meet all of the needs and expectations on a government contract or on a small project. So you have to think about service delivery and all of the different um, uh, points of contact that are required to do business with the government. So it's not just about pro providing your product or service. It's about all of the service expectations that are included with that. Mm -hmm. So, I, and that's going to be part of what they're going to look at as they review me, my bid or my application. We'll get into the details of that in a moment. Is it that infrastructure, is it something that usually has to already been in place or I'm going to propose that I'm going to develop that infrastructure if I get this contract? How, but do I have to have it first or can it be something that I'm going to, plan to uh, to put in place if i get the contract so that's really interesting it really depends on the type of business that you have so I'll, I'll speak to like the consultant type business when i first when i acquired my first government contract i did not have an infrastructure meaning i did not have office space and employees and but what type of contract was that what, what was it did you that were, was to provide um, professional training and development okay Okay, um, so I didn't have all those things in place. However, 
I did work with a virtual team because mm-hmm. I wanted to ensure that if I was out providing, um, you know, training to the client, that someone was in the office answering the phone, right. that someone was available to help with scheduling or other issues that could potentially come up. With other types of businesses, like think about the security business, exactly mm-hmm. what you said. The expectation is not that you have, you know, a hundred security guards waiting in your office to um, to join a specific project. So you can you can bid on work in anticipation of acquiring the security guards, um, putting the insurance in place, and putting the other things in place as well. Mm-hmm. I think. I think what the most important thing people need to know is they need to think about, you know, what is, what is required so that um, they can do an excellent job. Mm-hmm. And, and, and make sure that that's in your proposal so that the people reviewing it on the government side, see that you, you know, you're planning for this, you know, what the requirements are going to be. And also then, as you alluded to at the beginning, that's again, one of the benefits of working with the government is they understand, and that's part of the mission with contracting with smaller businesses, I got to believe, is to help that growth in a small business, to create more jobs, to you know, create opportunity for more capital investment. Is that, is that accurate? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so where do I get started? So what, you, we've touched on some of the things that are going to be looked at and some of the misconceptions. Where do you typically start with a small business owner that says, hey, I want to go after government contracts? Where do you have them get started? So one of the things I like to have people kind of think about is, you know, why? Why are they thinking about going into the government marketplace so that they're clear on expectations? I think a really great resource that people can connect with is the U.S. Small Business Administration's website where there are a number of resources, including an online learning center that walks people through the different things that they need to consider, you know, before thinking about doing business with the government. Like, where do you register? What are, how do you conduct market research? And, you know, what are some of the things that you should know? Um, the U.S. Small Business Administration will also connect you to um, local um, resources that can help the business owner um, you know, with market research or determining, you know, whether or not um, government contracting is a good fit for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot on the SBA website. And of course, as you're, you're referring to, one of the resources is a score at the local level, which, which I am I'm a part of as a volunteer. Um, so I get that understanding the process. There's lots of free information out there on, on, on SBA's website in, in particular. But the why component, you, I, I heard you talk about that in another episode, on another podcast rather that you were a guest on. Why is it important for me to know why I want to do business with the government? What, what is it that you have found that comes out of that that helps me get an alignment to have a better chance of landing a government contract? Why does it matter? It's important for you to think about why, because the government has an abundance of choices. Uh, You know, there's so much competition to do business with the government. A lot of us small business owners kind of sit back and we look at doing business with the government as, wow, how can I break in? But there are a lot of people that have already broken in that are doing an exceptional job with the government already. So you want to consider that the buyers have the option to do business with multiple different people. So you really need to connect 
your product or service to why should they do business with you? What is different or innovative about your company? Um, that's really important you know, when you're thinking about breaking in. And what are some of those things that in your experience, these government agencies are looking for along these lines? What are they looking for, Gene, that, that resonates with them? Of course, it's got to be got to be real and honest from your side, but what are the things that they're looking for along those lines that are beyond the numbers and the, you know, the, the projections, but that, that, that why component, what are they looking for there? So I'll just, I'll just throw out that, you know, beyond the RFP, the, you know, Mm -hmm. process and beyond pricing, I think the buyers are looking for innovation. They're looking for creativity. They're looking for reliability. They're looking for people, especially on the small business side. One of the reasons that government agencies like to work with small businesses is because the buck stops with us. You can pick up the phone, you can connect directly to the owner. So it's that, you know, that little extra, Um, you know, in my business, the little extra is technology. Although we are a management consulting firm and we provide training, we make it really easy for our clients to do business with us because mm-hmm. we're always thinking about what, you know, what is it that, that we could do to make their job easier? So it's mm-hmm. things like technology, on-time performance, customer service, because it separates, um, it distinguishes us from other companies. Sure, sure. This is Henry Lopez. Let's take a quick pause on this episode to chat about your small business dreams. Do you have a great business idea, but have just not been able to get it launched? Have you built a successful corporate career, but need some help making the transition to entrepreneurship? Are you ready to start building your own wealth instead of someone else's? I invite you to schedule a free business coaching consultation with me. Just text BizCoach, altogether BizCoach, to 31996 for more information. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business dreams and goals and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to launch our first business. As an experienced entrepreneur who also made the difficult transition from the corporate world, I understand the challenges you're facing, and often it's about helping you ask the right questions so that you can make progress towards achieving your goals. I can help you through your transition to becoming your own boss. To find out more or to schedule your free coaching session, just text bizcoach to 31996 now. That's B-I-Z-C-O-A-C-H, bizcoach, to 31996. Or visit thehowabusiness.com. All right, so understanding why I want to go after these government contracts, what's going to make me unique, what, what is it about us that, that really brings that innovation or, or new ideas, uh, educating myself, of course, the SBA, as we just mentioned, has lots of resources there. And, and then what does it look like typically? Where do, where do I start after that? What types, where do I even begin to look for the right type of opportunities for me as a small business owner, first time going after a government contract? So I want to also just bring something else before you start looking to go after a government contract. The other thing that a lot of small businesses overlook is what I call procurement readiness. Okay. And it's really making certain that you're in a position to deliver that service. And a lot of that has to do with cash flow management. 
is when you're working with a government agency, you know, it's, it's different than your private clients where, you know, sometimes they pay you in advance or as a consultant, you know, we take a third, a third and a third government agencies, you will typically bill them 30 days after service is delivered. So, you know, that's the other important component to kind of think about, you know, based on the capacity that your company has right now, what size project would be the best project for you? And what do you have the capacity to deliver on right now? You know, so that's even before you start looking for the projects. You almost want to have like a, an avatar, if you will, of the size of the project that's good for you, uh, the scope of the project, the location, so that when you do begin your search, it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a narrow search, but it's, it's more in alignment with your business capabilities. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I think it's such a huge point because that is one of the challenges with government contracts is that they're not going to pay you as quickly as you might be used to. So that can kill you from a cash flow perspective if you don't really plan for it. Or as you're saying, make sure that that what you're going to go after is realistic from a financial perspective as well, right? Yeah, I see a lot of people going into the marketplace and they hear, oh, the government has these lucrative contracts. The government is risk averse. So if they, um, if there's a contract out there, let's say for a million dollars, the likelihood of you winning that project, um, you need to ensure that they're going to be looking for somebody that's done work in that same type of environment in the past. Mm -hmm. So that's an important part of it as well. You know, in the, in the sure private that, sector, you've got some experience having done this in the private sector. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. Right. You can't just, it's going to be highly unlikely you're going to land a contract if you've just started the business solely for the purpose of trying to land a government contract. You've never delivered this service or sold this product anywhere else before. Is that, is that? That is correct. Yeah. Okay. Yes. One of the things that, you know, um, that the businesses that are looking to break in may want to consider is subcontracting or teaming or, you know, aligning themselves with companies, larger companies that are already doing business with the government. Okay. And you can, yeah, you can connect to those companies through the SBA's website. And I also recommend taking advantage of, you know, services like SCORE or the procurement technical assistance centers that help small businesses kind of identify clients within the government marketplace. And they teach them the technical skills that they're going to need to be able to successfully navigate in the government space. Um, because there, again, you could connect with a larger company that has a small portion of, of, of a job that they need to subcontract um, to meet um, some of the, um, the small business goals. And that's a great way to learn as well. And it also helps you gain the experience and the past performance needed to be able to um, start successfully competing. Yeah, that seems to me to be such a great approach. So, so tell me again how I go about. You're saying those, those firms, those large organizations that are looking for partnership, I can find those where. They are on the SBA's website. Um, SBA has a, a place in their website where you can find larger contractors that are looking to connect with smaller contractors. And again, my strongest recommendation, instead of, you know, clients kind of try, trying to navigate to, through all these websites on their own, is to connect with a local procurement technical assistance center, okay. which will help those, those companies 
you know, they have, they have a bunch of free classes and they understand the procurement process because I find that it's really difficult when somebody just says, Oh, what website should I go to? You, you kind of just can go down a rabbit hole. In that yeah, case. no, and I, I see that all the time because there is so much out there. The SBA website alone has so much information, but it's overwhelming, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not familiar with the procurement technical assistance center, so I'll make sure to put a link on the show notes page for this episode for that. I'm assuming they're, they're regional, much like the SBA offices and the score offices are. Is that how that works? Yeah. So if you're on the SBA website, there's a link that, that connects to local assistance. Okay. And then right under federal contracting, there's something that says procurement technical assistance centers, and you'll be connected to various um, centers throughout the United States. Perfect. Wonderful. All right. You also talk about a little bit, I want to get a little bit more into navigating the, the contracting spaces you talk about. We've been touching on it. And of course, this, this recommendation here makes a lot of sense for first time um, small business owners. Are there any other tips or advice to navigating the space initially in particular? I think people need to understand that there is a time commitment that is required and there's a period of time where you should devote some, some resources to market research. Again, I go back to the fact that the government is transparent. So you can find out how they're buying, what they're buying. You can get information on pricing. You can get information um, on all aspects of the procurement process. So before, before someone says, hey, I'm going, I would like to go after my first government contract, I think connecting with the procurement technical assistance centers are important or the women's business development centers are important. And then taking the time to conduct the market research so that they, so that they can identify opportunities in advance. If you're selling training, like I'm selling training, I have a list of all the training contracts that are coming out over the next 24 months. So it positions me to be able to know who I should connect with, who my competitors are, and it also helps me to identify any specific gaps in my business that need to be addressed before I go after these contracts. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think the, the key takeaway there is uh, that, that this, this takes a while, right? And I think that probably is another misconception is that, that just you just fill out an application online and, and boom, you've got a potential government contract. I think most of us, when we stop to think, realize it doesn't work that way. You got to educate yourself. You got to make sure you're prepared. You got to make sure you're taking on something that you can actually deliver on. Uh, in your experience for that first time government contract for a small business owner, what are we looking at time range? I know it, it fluctuates, but what, just to kind of set expectations, how long before, you know, you start working with someone that wants to land their first contract to they actually start executing on a government contract? Published reports reflect that that's about an 18 month time period from the, from the, the place where a business owner says, I'm interested, you know, by the time they do all the market research, position themselves, identify contracts and win a contract, if they have all of the, the necessary tools in place, it's about 18 months. One of the ways that I recommend that, that, that people consider fast tracking that is to really, again, once you've done all the research, to identify subcontracting opportunities because there's an mm. abundance of subcontracting opportunities out there. And the Small Business Administration um, alone, I think, has a 23% um, subcontracting goal on all of their large projects. I see. So that's something to consider. Um, 
you know, to try to fast track that, that yeah. process. Yeah, no, that's great. That's a great tip again. And, but, but again, the reality is it takes about that long, but there's these tremendous opportunities to subcontract and these larger firms are looking for those subcontractors for all kinds of different reasons. So that's, that's the route to really explore. All right. I want to take a, a slight shift, but of course it's all related. And I want to talk about women and minority owned businesses. I know you help clients with that as well. Um, I kind of want to take uh, just from a moment, I want to get your perspective on what are the challenges in your experience? You're a minority and woman owned business. That's what you run. What are the challenges that I may not be aware of that women and minority owned businesses face today running a business in the United States? So there are a lot of studies that reflect that minority and women-owned businesses have a greater challenge when it comes to access to capital. And as we talked about, you know, at the beginning of the podcast, that is that is absolutely necessary in order to to be able to do business with the government. So that is that is a barrier to success that minority and women-owned businesses face. Um, I think also, you know, a number of dis- disparity studies reflect that despite the fact that there are a growing number of minority and women-owned businesses, you know, opening up every day, um, we're still not um, at the place where we have our seat at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's reflected in a lot of the programs that you see. And that's why these certification programs are, you know, in place. It's to kind of help equal the playing field. And despite having these um, programs in place, I see that the the playing field is still not, um, you know, it's still not equal. Um, minorities and women sometimes face challenges in doing business with government agencies. I think of um, the United States, for example, they have a goal for 5% to award 5% of all contracts to women-owned businesses. And it's only recently that they've come close to reaching that goal. So that kind of gives you a sense. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. that kind of gives you a sense of, you know, what it's like for minority and women-owned businesses. Yeah. Thanks for for sharing that. And it's something that I think we need to hear, especially I am a minority, but I'm not a woman, but, but I, you know, I've faced some of those same challenges and it's, and so that leads to then one of the benefits and, and chat with me if you would about why, you should consider getting certified as a minority of women-owned business? One of the main reasons someone should consider getting certified is because the government as a whole, so that's on a federal level as well as on a local level, is looking to close that gap. So it's looking to increase opportunities for minority and women-owned businesses. So the certification is a way that a company can identify themselves as a minority or a woman, and it enables them to connect to those small business set-asides on the federal level and um, contract opportunities on the local level. Mm -hmm. Is it a difficult process? Does it take a long time? Does it cost a lot of money? There's no cost associated with it. It's, It's free everywhere. I think the only place that there is a cost associated with it is in the private sector, Private sector has um, certification programs that connect minorities and women to uh, opportunities to work with large corporations. But on the government side, it's free. Is it difficult? It's time consuming. It Mm -hmm. requires the business owner to have their house in order. 
So I think it's a great exercise and certification forces you to kind of pull all your tax returns and business documents together. And you're going to need that information going forward, sure. doing business with the government anyway. Right. So is it, it's, it's a process. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, we help, we support a lot of clients with it um, because it's like, I equate it to doing your uh, taxes. Some people just say, you know, <laughs> please just take this off my plate, pull right. those, all those documents together. It's not hard, but it is time consuming. Sure. Sure. And and that's got to be one of the reasons uh, for the answer to the question I want to ask is why why do you think more people are not taking advantage of certification? Is that the big barrier? Is that it's time consuming? It's confusing? Tell me why you think people are not taking advantage of it. I don't think that people really understand the true benefit. And I can't tell you how many women I talk to here locally that have never heard of women business certification. In fact, I was watching the news today and only now am I starting to see more of an emphasis on buying from women. So uh, they, had a, they had a segment they think on today. Um, on my Amazon page, I'm now seeing a separate um, section to buy from women-owned businesses. But up until a couple of weeks ago, it, you don't really hear people talking that much about it. It's almost like if you're in the space, you know about it. And if you're not, no one's ever heard of it. Yeah, interesting. Okay, similarly, where does a woman, a minority, where do they get started with at least learning more about this? Well, similarly, I think the um, the SBA website, I'm, I'm always going to go back to that because they have so much great information on how to start a business. And the for women, you can connect to women's business development centers. Mm -hmm. So they can, and, and I think the procurement technical assistance centers also help connect clients to where they can get certified. The other these, thing I would These certifications are administered by the SBA, is that correct? Uh, no. The no. minority women-owned business certifications are typically administered locally by okay. local government agencies. So that's the other place where people can look um, to, to connect. Look at your local government and see, you know, just go on the website and see, do they have programs for minority and women-owned businesses and what's the and, process? And when you say local, are we talking state, city, county, or it depends, or all of them? What it's we, state, uh, city, county, and it depends. That's exactly okay. right. Like I, right. I live in Connecticut, for example, and they have um, a specific, what they call small business enterprise certification. And in New York, for example, they have city and a New York City certification and a New York State certification. And which one of those do I need to get that then I'm going to use to apply for government contracts? Well, this all goes back to our earlier comments about doing the market research, kind mm -hmm. of aligning yourself with, you know, what is it, what is your core product or service? And then kind of looking out into the marketplace to determine where the need is. Okay. Because depending on where the need is, the the certification requirements may be different. Sure. So, so if I've so I'm gonna have identified, I've done the research and the homework and I've identified, you know, Dallas County has the kind of opportunities that make sense for me, then I might look to get certified by Dallas County. Correct. Okay. Okay, great. Thanks for sharing that. Anything I didn't ask about related to that, about certification, about the whole, I mean, obviously there's a lot more to government contracting, but anything from a, you know, from an introductory perspective that I didn't ask about? 
I, I, I see, you know, and they just want to communicate the benefit of really working with the government, you know, above and beyond helping a business scale. It is also a way to generate wealth for your, for, for the business owner and the community. Like it has a real ripple effect. So I just wanted to put that out there as well. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. All right, summarize for us the services that you offer to, to help small businesses with government contracting, and you also help people with getting certification. Just summarize those services for us. Sure. So I basically help, help people navigate through the government space. So that is one of, one of the things I do is connecting them to all these different resources. So people can reach me on my website, and I'm happy to connect them to an abundance of free resources. I also work with corporations and government agencies who are looking to provide education, training, and mentorship to minority and women-owned businesses. We do um, assessments. Um, you know, we provide training, the specific technical training on how to identify um, contracts and how to successfully win contracts with government agencies. And you're doing that. I think you've got a program, as I mentioned in the in the bio, but you also do one-on-one coaching and, and services. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And do you are you currently engaged in a contract with the government, or is that something you used to do? I'm just curious as to is this your current focus now? I am currently engaged in multiple contracts with the government. Um, so I have contracts that are with. Um, like women's business development centers and procurement mm-hmm. technical assistance centers, because they often hire experienced consultants to work mm-hmm. with them. Sure. I also have contracts um, for professional training, development, executive coaching. I believe in this so strongly uh, that yes, I have multiple yeah. government contracts. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, what do you, what's your vision for, for your, your practice, your business and, and this, what you're doing in this area, what's your long-term vision? My long-term vision is to empower more minority and women-owned businesses, helping them break through the barriers um, to success like that we talked about, which is access to capital. It could be bonding. It's a lack of knowledge. And really creating a community where we support one another in gaining access to this really lucrative marketplace. Um, That's my vision. That's wonderful. All right. Um, I'm always looking for a book recommendation. Is there a book you've read that you would recommend to us? One of my favorite books is a book called The Big Leap um, by Gay Hendricks. I was introduced to this book by one of my mentors and uh, a consultant that I work with, Allie Brown. And it really talks about the challenges that entrepreneurs have when they're trying to scale up. So it's one of my favorites. Highly recommend it. Thanks for that recommendation. We'll have a link to it on the show notes page of this episode at thehowabusiness.com. All right, we'll wrap it up with this, Gene. What's, what's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation we've had about government contracting? The one thing I want people to know is that it is an extremely lucrative marketplace, but that you need to be prepared. You need to approach it in the same way that you would approach anything else. And I think if you are prepared, it can be a wonderful way to scale your business um, and create wealth in your wealth for you, your family, and in your community. Yeah, well said, I think. And you got to be prepared as well to put in the effort and the time because it doesn't just happen overnight, right? Yes. Where do you want us to go online to learn more? Please go to my website. Um, There's a 
great resources. Um, you know, the podcast will be there, um, you know, blogs. And there's also, I host a number of free events and webinars that, that can help people navigate the different aspects of doing business with the government. Perfect. Gene, this has been a great conversation. I've learned a lot, a lot of insights. Uh, thanks for taking the time and for sharing of your knowledge today. It's been a real pleasure. And thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Gene Christensen. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, other platforms, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. You can also text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996 to receive more information. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.